This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to Nutshell Politics this week. My name is Justin Kinney and I will be your charming host on this week's episode. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm excited to dive into today's topic. We're going to be talking about a historical bit of politics where we discuss uh, the story of an old U.S. naval warship from World War I and World War II uh, that was recently discovered. And so we're going to be telling the story of this warship, the USS Eagle 56. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what happened to it, what its purpose was, and kind of why it's been back in the news recently, and a little bit of kind of its its legacy here. So we're going to just go ahead and jump right into this. Uh, the USS Eagle 56 was a patrol boat that came about first in uh, 1919. That was when it was launched in August of 1919. So we're kind of talking end of World War One, and it was it remained in service uh, through World War Two up until uh, April 23rd of 1945. And we'll talk about uh, that in a second. But to give a little backstory on this this particular vessel. So the USS Eagle 56 was one out of 60. Eagle class patrol boats that were actually built by Henry Ford of all people uh, late in World War One. Henry Ford is the same Henry Ford that was the founder of Ford Motor Company, Ford uh, vehicles and cars. Uh, so he was kind of an American uh, business industrialist, and he actually helped build these Eagle class patrol boats, uh, of which I said there were there were sixty of them. Now the Eagle class was specifically a set of uh, steel ships that were kind of smaller than contemporary destroyers that we tend to think of, but they were in that kind of same same basic um, grouping. And in particular, they were kind of noted for being what you would call uh, submarine chasers. And so they, they did a lot of like anti-submarine work, tracking those down and, and keeping them away from, from whatever their their target was. Uh, and so that was kind of their, their goal is they, they were anti-submarine patrol ships. Now, this particular type of patrol boat, the Eagle class, were noted for having uh, for being smaller, as I said. Uh, and so that meant they had limited fuel storage and they used a lot of gasoline going back and forth chasing down these subs. Uh, so they, they were kind of working to build or to build that out of the design, the kind of the handicap of you know not being able to, to go particularly far because of fuel issues. But that was kind of their initial purpose. And so Henry Ford was one of the ones who was who was really instrumental in in building this, uh, particularly because he had this knowledge of like the mass production mass production assembly line technique that he had perfected for uh, for automobile building. And so they were hoping that he could help speed up the process of building uh, these ships in a larger quantity. And so Ford's plan for building that these type of ships was brought on board, and it completely revolutionized. 
uh, the industry as well, and they were able to produce boats much faster rate using a, a same like a very same pattern again, kind of this the similar assembly line technique that he used for the Model T that was so famous. And so he was brought in for this contract, and he helped kind of launch this this eagle boat. Now the eagle boat name itself comes from the actual bird, the eagle. Uh, because it was, I actually came from an, from an editorial piece that was written, kind of an op-ed in the Washington Post back then, where they, I'll use a quote here, called it the eagle to scour the seas and pounce upon and destroy every German submarine. And so they saw it as this, this eagle-type vessel that could kind of go back and forth across the seas and spot these submarines and then destroy them. And so that was their purpose. Uh, now, the Eagle boats actually never saw service in World War I, uh, which they were designed for. They kind of came along, along late in the process. And due to their kind of smaller size, and there were a few performance issues right off the bat that they had to kind of work through, they never actually saw service in World War I. Uh, they did get some action in a few smaller battles and things for other other things over the years, uh, they, were, they served as reconnaissance vessels at Midway in the 1920s and the Hawaiian Islands in the early 20s as well. Uh, they served temporarily in the Allied intervention that took place during the Russian Civil War. Uh, the Russian Civil War was a series of like military expeditions in the, I think it started in 1918 or so. Uh, so they did see some action and things like that. Uh, and they began to see service. I think eight of them ended up seeing service in World War II. Some of them ended up being sold to other companies, other things for other purposes. Uh, a couple of them were transferred to the Coast Guard. Uh, and then, as I said, like some saw service in the World Wars. Now, this particular one, the Eagle 56, so this is, again, 56th out of the 60, was serving uh, during World War II. It was patrolling off the coast of Delaware in January of 1942. That was its initial um, its initial kind of voyage. And it remained pretty much constantly at sea during this time period. Uh, the Battle of the Atlantic during this time period, a lot of Axis submarines kind of attacked merchant ships along the east coast of North America. And so it remained at sea during this time period and served, you know, served as a patrol vessel. There was a, a, a situation where Jacob Jones... Uh, which was a destroyer ship was sunk by a German submarine during during World War II, and Eagle 56 was used to rescue survivors off of Cape May when that happened. And so the Eagle 56 did actually see a fair amount of action, and of those 60 Eagle-class ships, it actually saw some of the most action of any. Now, the reason this has been in the news more recently is because of what happened to it in uh, 1945. So in April of 1945, the Eagle 56 was towing some targets for a, a U.S. naval bombing exercise that they were doing off the coast of Maine. It was, it was towing some of these targets that were being used. And the German submarine, the U-853, this is a, a U-boat, one of the famous U-boats of the Nazi German submarine corps uh, during World War II, came along and attempted to sink it and it shot some torpedoes at it. And on April 23rd of 1945, the Eagle 56 exploded. And one of the interesting things about this too is at the time we didn't actually know what, what had happened. Uh, there weren't other ships nearby. Uh, the closest one was a destroyer called the Selfridge. It was operating about 30 minutes away. So it got there about 30 minutes after the explosion. It rescued some of the survivors. We'll talk about them in a second. But some of the reports at the time 
uh, they didn't know what had actually happened. And so the official naval inquiry into it concluded that it was a boiler explosion. And this was, this was largely because their boiler had been overhauled about two weeks before the sinking. And so there was some question that maybe there was there was a faulty boiler or something that was put into place. And so they weren't really sure. Uh, now, some of the survivors, I think five out of the 13, had claimed to see a submarine in the area. Uh, and they were able to describe the kind of yellow and red emblem on the, the submarine's sail that they had. And that matches the markings of this particular submarine. It was a, a red horse on a yellow shield. So the red and yellow makes sense. But because only five of them had even seen it, again, there was a lot of question about... Uh, what it was. And so it was officially classified as a boiler explosion at the time. Now, the U-853, that U-boat of the Nazi German um, submarine corps, continues to work. And it, it actually sinks another ship a couple weeks after this. And we see it uh, get involved in the Battle of Point Judith, which was a, sh which was a battle on uh, May 6th. So again, we're talking a couple weeks later. And the U-853 gets, ends up being sunk by naval and coast guard ships on May 6th. And so over the next few months, uh, we see a lot of back and forth between naval experts and you know, admirals and some of the survivors about what had actually happened. Because again, they just they didn't really understand it. Uh, and one of the rear admirals uh, of, the, of the U.S. Navy at the time said something to the effect of, you know, there's about equal evidence on, on either side. You know, we could support the idea of a, a boiler explosion, but he also says there's equal evidence to support the conclusion that the explosion was that of a device outside the ship, uh, which may have been his, his words, an enemy mine or an enemy torpedo. And so this is the way it stood for about 60 years, uh, I think 55 or 56 years, I think, officially, because in 2001, a group called the Naval Historical Center, actually now it's called the, the Naval History and Heritage Command, it's basically a group that's dedicated for the preservation, analysis, and dissemination of U.S. naval history. And so it's located in Navy Yard in uh, Washington, D.C., if you've ever been there. And again, their kind of purpose is to preserve the heritage of the U.S. Navy. And so they actually took up the case of this USS Eagle 56 to, to kind of re review it again, because there was still a lot of question even 60 years later. And so they reviewed the case and they actually ultimately uh, reclassified the sinking as a combat loss. So they actually did change the ruling on it and say, this, no, this was a torpedo. We have enough evidence to suggest that the explosion occurred outside of the ship on the surface of the ship base. In other words, it got hit by something and didn't explode from the inside out. And so they reclassified it as a combat loss. And so Purple Heart medals were awarded in 2001 to three, sur three survivors who were still alive and the next of kin of, of those who were killed. So all of those who were killed, they tracked down their next of kin and handed out Purple Hearts as well. Now, there were, as I said, 13 initial survivors, 62 members of the crew at the time. And this included about five officers and a little over 50 enlisted men. And 13 of those were rescued by the Selfridge, which means the rest of the crew from this ship did die in that sinking. Uh, so we're talking, uh, you know, in the neighborhood of 50, almost 50 people who died uh, at this vessel. And so they tracked on all of their next of kin and gave out Purple Heart medals. Again, there were three that were still alive in 2001. And up until at least 2007 or so, uh, this was the only time... Uh, that the U.S. Navy has overruled its own court of, court of inquiry. I, I don't know for sure if it's happened again since that point. Uh, the most recent 
article that I read about it was talking about as of 2007. Uh, there may be others uh, since that point, but for at least 60 plus years since this this time, it was the only time the U.S. Navy had ever overruled itself and changed a ruling and reclassified a case like this. Uh, so because of that, we also saw, in addition to the Purple Heart Medals, we saw a commemorative plaque that was erected near Portland Headlight, which is a historic lighthouse in Cape Elizabeth in Maine, which is pretty close to where it was sunk. Uh, it's on the grounds of Fort Williams Park, which is a, a pretty large park in Cape Elizabeth there. And so we've seen this ship kind of reemerge into the public consciousness in the 2000s because of this reclassification that was so historic as being the only one. Uh, we're we're going to take just a minute or so commercial break here, and I will jump back with you guys on the other side, and we're going to talk about what happened to it just recently, uh, why it's been in the news in just the last week or so. Uh, so stick with me, and we'll talk about that on the other side. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back with you guys in a minute. Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that short commercial break. It gives me a chance to rest my voice for a second. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right back into talking about the USS Eagle 56, kind of a submarine chaser boat that uh, was developed in World War One, was never used then. About eight of them ended up being used in World War II. And this particular ship was, as I said, beforehand sunk by the German submarine, uh, the U-853, which is a German U-boat from the Nazis in April of 1945. Now, all of that is really, really interesting, but the question is, why am I talking about this? Why are we telling the story? And the reason for this is because while it was sunk in 1945, for about 75 years, no one knew exactly where this submarine chaser, submarine hunter was. We couldn't find the ship. It obviously had sunk to the bottom of the ocean, and so the ship, along with its crew, was missing for 75 years. The ship had been torn in half by the explosion and went down very rapidly. And so by the time the, the Selfridge, the other boat that was in the area, got there about half an hour later, the boat was gone. They were able to rescue some of the crew, as said, 13 survivors, but they were, they were not able to find the ship. And then about a year ago, in 2018, June of 2018, there were some wreck divers who were working with the Smithsonian, and they finally managed to locate it about six miles off of the shore of Maine. Now, they had spent about four years searching for this wreck uh, until they finally managed to almost stumble across it. They were using sonar technology, and so eventually they were able to kind of track it down and... Uh, with the help of some very preci uh, precision diving equipment, they were able to kind of go down and to see this. And so this discovery kind of ends a 75-year-old mystery about the location of this this ship. And you ask, you know, why is this so difficult to find? And, you know, it, we knew where it was patrolling. A ship arrived there shortly after. Why was this so difficult? And the reason was because the Eagle actually... When it went down, it actually ended up sliding down and actually ended up lying about 300 feet below the surface of the Atlantic Ocean. And so a man by the name of Gary Kozak, he's a, a specialist in these kind of undersea searches. He's been involved in a lot of different uh, searches over the years for different things. You know, the team ultimately ends up teaming up with Kozak to help track down this ship. It's actually his sonar technology that he uses and he points the group towards several targets he used sonar and tracked down like several different locations that kind of showed unusual patterns on the ocean floor so he gave them several targets of where like possible gps coordinates of where the ship could be and so june of last year 
you know, two of the divers are exploring one of these possibilities and they come across, in their words, a big wall of steel at the bottom of the ocean. And it, that's what turned out to be the Eagle uh, 56. And so for the rest of last summer, the group kept going to the wreck, taking 20 plus dives or so and gathering a lot of evidence that they needed to prove that this was that missing Eagle uh, ship. And one of the reasons that I said, too, this is so difficult to, to have found in the first place is it's very hard to get to. It takes about four minutes of diving just to get down that far. Uh, water temperatures get below 40 degrees. Uh, that's Fahrenheit, obviously. So it gets down really close to freezing temperature at this point. And just to get back up because of uh, de decompression issues and problems with decompression sickness, it would sometimes take you as much as three hours just to get back up to the surface because you had to go so slowly to avoid getting sick. Now this was, as I said, the only Eagle boat that was lost during combat. And the history here is, is incredible. It's, it's recognition for the crew of the Eagle. Uh, they had their ship essentially shot out from beneath them. History was re rewritten when they uh, reclassified this back in the early 2000s. And this is actually a small part of a much larger project that has been going on to find old World War II wrecks. There's researchers across the globe that have been working to locate the site of a lot of these. Uh, just as examples, the USS Wasp, which was an aircraft carrier, was found in the Coral Sea even earlier this year. Uh, there was an Australian freighter that was discovered not that long ago. There was a USS B-24 bomber that was found off of Bermuda. And it's not just United States ships either, or even Western ships. There was a Japanese naval ship from the Imperial Japan era uh, that was sank in the 1940s off the Solomon Islands. They recently were able to track that one down as well. In 2017, they tracked down the USS Indianapolis in the Philippine Sea. And so this this kind of larger scale project to, to track down these old World War II ships and wrecks, uh, e even planes at time. There was a, a Spitfire fighter plane that was recovered from a, a Norwegian mountainside just last year. And so there there's a lot of this effort to kind of preserve the history and the heritage of what, what happened and be able to track down a lot of these wreckages and provide some, some measure of closure for members of the family who have long wondered about some of these cases, but also the U.S. military, uh, other militaries around the world, and really just provide a measure of respect for the, the the people who perished in these cases. And so the Eagle 56 is is one of these most famous cases because it was one that had been missing for so long and the reclassification kind of brought it into the news shortly after the turn of the, the 21st century. And it's actually kind of a really in interesting story too with the reclassification from being an accident with a boiler explosion to to being blown apart by a, a Nazi U-boat. And that reclassification is um, is very rare. And actually, the reclassification turned the Eagle 56 into the Navy's largest single combat loss in this region, in kind of that New England waters. Uh, and so it's been a pretty fascinating bit of history that has just kind of resurfaced recently. A video taken by the divers that discovered it uh, shows that the Eagle's boilers are intact. And this actually helped uh, confirm some of the, the case that was previously, had already been reclassified several years before, but the, the video actually did show that the boilers are still intact. So it wasn't a boiler explosion. 
and uh, the ship's steel plating is starting to rust away, but they are, are essentially going to leave it in place. Uh, they can't bring it back to the surface. It's too damaged for that. And so they've put in a lot of protections around it. They've uh, designated it as a formal war grave, which brings a lot of protections associated with that alongside it. And as I said, this was one of the, the last American warships that had been gone missing. It was the last one sunk off the East Coast during World War II. And it was one, it's one of the last ones that we've had yet to find. So it's been a, pr a pretty big deal. And so I recommend you guys go check that out if you're at all interested in World War II history. In particular, uh, obviously these boats are around from the Henry Ford era, so they have a lot of history there as well. Uh, the history of Henry Ford is fascinating, and a lot of people don't even realize how much he got involved in some of the war efforts over the years as well. A lot of people think of him just as the Ford Motor guy, uh, the Model T, and the you know automobiles. But he actually had a pretty big hand in a lot of military efforts over the years as, as well because of his knowledge of the assembly line and some of the inventions that he had created to streamline production processes that and the military really wanted to use that and so like the eagle class there are other cases where henry ford gets involved as well in military uh, capacities uh, but with that uh we're going to go ahead and close out this week's episode i hope that was a real interesting bit of historical politics for you going back to world war ii and Americans versus Nazis and some of the the naval fighting that took place even off the coast of the United States. A lot of people don't realize that either. You know, we talk about World War II as being either on the European continent or in the Pacific with, with Japan, Iwo Jima, and some of these islands out there. But we actually ha saw some combat not too far off the coast of North America. As I said, this one was, was patrolling about six miles off of Maine. So we're talking very close to the North American continent. And it, it was torpedoed and sunk there. And so World War II was not just Europe and the Pacific Ocean, but we also saw some, obviously a lot less, but some combat uh, here as well, much closer to home. And so that's that's kind of a fascinating bit of history as well. I hope that was really interesting. Uh, we're going to go ahead and shut down the episode, though, uh, for this week. So if you're interested in getting in touch with me, please reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. Uh, you can find me, follow me there, uh, hit that follow button. I'd be happy to continue this conversation with you there. Uh, we can also talk on Facebook. You can connect with me on that. You can subscribe to my Facebook page. It's J. Robert Kinney. Uh, that's the name I write fiction novels under. Please uh, hit that subscribe button there. Also go to Amazon and check out my, my two books. I have a book called Precipice and one called Splintered State. They're mystery novels, kind of in the, the, the suspense genre there's a lot of politics in there a lot of political thriller elements uh they're getting good reviews i really appreciate you guys ch checking those out so go on there you can download them on kindle or you can buy a paperback copy as well now if you're all interested in supporting this podcast or supporting me in any way as, as i produce this and as i write books you can find my patreon account online uh, you can also contact me to advertise in the podcast i'd be happy to talk with you more about the possibility of advertising as well but with that, I think we're going to go ahead and close things out for this week. So until I'm back with you guys next week, this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. <laughs>